0: Everyone. Welcome to Mecca Talks, your access all areas past to the beauty, business and lifestyle experts we call our community. I'm Kate Bly, the Chief Marketing Officer here at Mecca. And I'm Zao Wong, Head of
1: Content. In today's episode, Mecca Talks Finding Your Beauty Identity with Mecca Head of Artistry Tony Bowman and model activist Mahalia Handley. Hi Zara, how are you today? I'm really into this episode. It's about finding your beauty
0: identity. So what do you, what does finding your beauty identity mean to you? It's a really good question. And I think when you've kind of settled on a beauty beauty identity, it actually is quite freeing because you, you kind of like commit, mm. don't you? So, And I'm like a bit of a creature of habit. So I had years and years of being a chameleon, of trying every style, hairstyle, makeup trend, blue eyeshadow, green eyeshadow, oh, short hair, long hair. And um, I think I got to mid 20s and kind of settled into my groove a bit more. And what that did was just give me a bit of underlying confidence, I think, because I was like, I know, this seems a bit boring, but I kind of know the looks that work for me, I kind of know the hairstyles that work for me, I've tried everything, I haven't been boring about that. And I've experimented fully. um, But then I can just do little tweaks here and there. And actually, that it's just one thing that kind of gives you confidence and lets you um just to your to your point, it's your beauty identity then, isn't it? It's like, ah, okay, Kate, how's that look? Well, it's like a uniform, but
1: the word uniform makes it sound boring, you know? But it's like, I love it, it's fun. Um, gosh, I've like I feel like I've experimented a bit, but probably not as much as you have. And I kind of like know what I like. It's seriously, there are photos of me when I'm 15 years old and I'm dressed like what well, I dress now really which is kind of weird yeah I've like always kind of done the same sort of thing but I kind of play within there but like I would really love like navy blue eyeshadow in high school and I still kind of use it now so I kind of
0: do I sort of like yeah color within the lines um I have two personalities Oh, uh, yeah probably two I have my kind of work <laughs> city personality and then I have my summer personality where I'm quite boho And much more beachy and a lot more bohemian in my style. Um, And that probably reflects in hair, makeup and beauty as well. I just like loosen right up. Whereas in the sort of working week and um, evenings in the city, I'm quite sort of pulled together.
1: And the other thing too, which, you know, is about beauty identity is that what it adds to you, it adds to your like, you know, sense of confidence, who you feel like as a person. And I feel like that's kind of what we touch on when talking to Mahalia about it as well. Yes. And that's like,
0: that's how she, yeah, became the woman that she is today. And also kind of just, you know, being comfortable with who you are. And of course you can do things to tweak. And, um, you know, we had that great episode with Dr. Van Park about doing, how getting work done. There's always things you can do, but if you're comfortable in your own skin, I think that's a really good start. You know, I think everyone should
1: just like, find what works for them and own it. And I think that kind of leads us on to this week where it will be International Day of the Girl coming up. And that's a really big day for Mecca. And it really highlights our passion for imbuing knowledge, confidence, and sense of self in women and girls. So Empower is our philanthropy arm and it aims to empower and educate girls. So one of our goals is to help 10,000 girls finish secondary school by 2025, which sounds like it sounds big and it's a big number, but that, that's coming up. It's like 2021 already.
0: I love that. How are we actually helping the girls? Is it through um, education or is it through funding? How does it actually work, Zara? So it's through all of them. So
1: our partners are STARS, Skyliner and CAMFED. And one of the big themes for International Day of the Girl this year actually is about digital. So digital generation and digital divide. And I think one of the amazing things about digital is that you know, we all have it. We're literally doing this podcast now remotely, but the access to technology and digital really bridges the gap, really like democratizes what you can do. Are
0: we saying that um, girls then have less access globally to digital? Is that one of the things that we we're looking into as a business? Yeah, exactly. And I think within International
1: Day of the Girl this year, it's such an important part to highlight the differences between girls, women, females having access to digital pieces, digital technology, digital education compared to other genders.
0: I think what's so cool about that as well is it really ties into um, our sort of our mission as well at Mecca, which is that we're going through this whole digital transformation. We are really expanding into our kind of digital the div- digital ecosystem, I suppose you could call it. And what I love about that is that we actively really go out there to hire Female developers and female um, digital experts, and to really build that knowledge in that way for girls in in probably an industry that was mostly male for so long, I think is one of the big game changers. Um, How does how we sort of tying that back into International Day of the Girl? Then, so I think that's why we have Mahalia speaking on this podcast
1: and interviewing her is that she has this amazing story, she has amazing learnings, and she literally did it like on her own with the help of digital and technology. And I think that's a really good example of, you know, using what you've got and shouting
0: it out there and being proud about it. And look at where she is now. Yeah, it's incredible. And actually giving people a voice in a platform that never had a voice in a platform before, it means a lot to me as a mum, but also as with a team of predominantly girls and not girls, you're not girls, females. um, And I feel like a girl still. I mean, I feel like a girl. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but definitely after a glass of wine, I feel like a girl. (laughs) Um, When I'm dancing with my children in lockdown on a Friday night in my disco in the kitchen, I feel young.
1: The next person we have in our podcast is Tony Bowman. He is officially the head of artistry at Mecca, but we also call him the
0: head of fabulosity. And he is utterly fabulous. He has been in the business for, I think, 20 years and started working in one of the stores. And is, he's one of those kind of icons of Mecca. He's always there. He's always kind of around and he's always got something fabulous to say. So I'm super excited to get his view on beauty identity
2: hi Tony hi hi Kate and hi Zara thank you so much for having me I feel very grown up
0: thank you for joining us Tony and we were talking about you earlier as we were just sort of setting up the podcast and getting things into the groove and we were actually talking about the fact that we think you have been in the mecca business for like 20 years is that right
2: it's, um, it's well, actually, I did my 18th year wow. in August, so well and truly on my way to 20. So, yes, a long time.
0: And you started working in the stores, is that right?
2: I did, I did. Um, I left Melbourne, this was like in the early 2000s, and I went and lived in Perth for a bit of a <laughs> tree change. And um, I had, or a beach change, I should say, um, and I had a very long um, hairdressing career, 18 years.
0: You do have a great mane of hair, so I can see how that worked.
2: Well, it's, it's lockdown hair at the moment.
0: Hold on a minute. You had a, uh, roll back a bit, you were a hairdresser for 18 years.
2: Yes, before I started at Mecca.
0: We all need our hair doing right now because we're no, no. locked
2: So <laughs> And me, look, I mean, mine is ridiculous at the moment. I look like Camilla Parker Bowles. But um, I went to um, Perth for a, for a beach change and my sister was a huge Mecca fan. She was going to Mecca since it started. And we used to have um, little nail salons at the back of the store and she used to get her nails done there every Saturday. And um, she said, Oh, my brother's coming to live in Perth. He does makeup, and um, you're looking for someone. And um, they said, We sure are. And that's, that's literally how it started. 18 years ago, and look at you now. Oh, in Claremont. It was amazing. <laughs>
1: did you know anything about makeup or beauty back then? I mean, you knew hair, but do you know makeup?
2: Yes, I, I did um, a full makeup artistry training. So I was practicing hair and makeup. Um, so coming into Mecca was like I just fell into my dream job. It was like being in heaven. Well,
0: you have a, you have two names. Well, three actually. Your real name, Tony. Bourbon. Yes. Then you have the head of Fabulosity, which is how I was introduced to you as. But you also have now Tony Tilbury. Yes. And you are you are now like part of the Charlotte Tilbury family. They think that Tony Tilbury character is so amazing, and we have just launched Charlotte Tilbury. And I think the whole world needs to now know you as Tony Tilbury. Don't you agree?
2: I am very happy to adopt that surname. Bring back glamour, don't you think? After all these, we've been locked down for so long, let's bring it back. Well, it it never left my world.
1: On that note, this episode is actually about finding your beauty identity. So how did you find your beauty identity, Tony?
2: Oh, in many ways, in many ways. I was always fascinated by beauty growing up. Like as, as a little boy in the 70s, you know, I, I was in love with Hollywood stars. Marilyn Monroe was like my pin-up girl. She was literally all over my walls. You know, char- the hair of Charlie's Angels, the eyelashes of Barbara Eden as Jeannie. So my obsession with beauty started really young. And then I did my hairdressing training sort of in the 80s, worked in that field, did artistry training in the early 90s. And um, just sort of fell in love with every aspect of beauty and found my identity through that.
0: I love that. I, I used to collect all of my mum's Vogue magazines and I used to cut out all of the pictures in my entire room. Like yes. ceiling, walls was just fashion and beauty images everywhere.
2: Yes. Even as like
0: a young girl, I was completely obsessed. I knew the only job I wanted to do was work in fashion and beauty.
2: Same, same. And I used to look at these beauty icons And I used to think they were so incredibly powerful. I find um, beauty incredibly powerful to people. So I always found it really inspiring.
1: I think what I love about what you do and your job is that you like kind of help people find their own beauty identity as well, don't you?
2: Yeah, totally. And that's, I mean, that's how how our ethos at Mecca is to help people feel comfortable enough to find their own sort of niche in this beauty world and showcase a plethora of incredible products for them so to me it's, it's it's like this perfect fusion of everything and it's really about building someone's confidence in finding what their sort of identity is within the beauty realm
0: would you say then your first kind of beauty memory was all of those kind of hollywood beauty icons or was there another pivotal moment for you that when you realized that this wasn't just something that you were quite taken with but you actually want to do this as a career
2: Yes, it was. Well, my very first beauty moment with product was I was 11 years old and my mother used to use Elizabeth Arden Visible Difference Cream and I remember going into her beauty cabinet and reading the side of it and it said in 21 days your skin will be <laughs> visual. <laughs> will be transformed. So I was 11, so every day I'd go in there, I'd slather it on, and, you know, (laughs) seven days to go, three days to go. And I remember the final day going into the mirror and going, well, it didn't transform my skin because I was 11. It actually couldn't. But I got addicted to the actual process of of using beauty products.
0: What did your mum say, though? Because that's quite an expensive cream.
2: She never knew. (laughs) She never knew, and I can't believe she didn't because I was (laughs) generous. <laughs> yeah, i really yeah. lathered that product on. But um, what it taught me was the sort of ritual of, of beauty and how important that is. And I've sort of been addicted to it ever since. care is definitely something that I have to do morning and night um, and it's something that I'm totally addicted to because for me it's part of my ritual. It's me getting ready and it's me getting, you know, my persona for the day. It's mm-hmm. part of that. And if I don't go through that process, I'm not present, so yeah. it's sort of part of who I am. What
0: would you say, Tony, to if you could to um, that eleven-year-old boy who was fascinated with his with his mum's face cream and all of those Hollywood stars? What would you say to that boy, knowing this amazing career you've had and are still like in the thick of, um, to kind of really encourage that boy to have you know to follow his dreams and to to really embrace your own beauty identity and your own identity as well.
2: Yeah the the thing is is don't listen to other people don't be influenced too much by what's going on on the outside be really authentic and really passionate about everything that you do because I think if you're authentic and you're passionate that that will t- take you anywhere and be kind just be kind just be just make people feel good that's what I think the art of you know any career journey is yeah. is being authentic being kind and being passionate. You have to love what you do.
1: What do you think that little 11-year-old boy would be thinking of Tony today? I think he'd be really proud.
2: I think he'd be really proud. He'd be like, yeah, that's what I want to do when I grow up.
0: I love that. I love the sort of like, you know... The fact you knew and you went for it as well. Yeah, because I mean, you like
1: you know, you were a kid who grew up in regional Victoria, ended up in Perth, and you know, did hairdressing, found your way, and now you're the head of fabulosity at Mecca. The
2: the the thing that I've always done because I grew up like in the seventies, it wasn't an easy time. You know, when you're as colourful as I am, um, and you just <laughs> you just have to n- not listen to the noise and don't take it on board. Just always know who you yeah. are have that sort of respect for who you are, really embrace it and just keep going forward.
0: With that in mind, um, you know, because makeup artistry, in especially in those days, was very much a sort of female career. Yeah. Um, how would you encourage the sort of young males who are thinking about You know, the fact they love beauty and they want to go on that that route. How would you sort of encourage them and give them the confidence to take that step?
2: I think the biggest thing that can give you confidence um, as a young, you know, aspiring um, makeup artist is to learn interpersonal skills. So what I mean by that, go and work in in a career like hairdressing or work in retail. We are exposed to um, a lot of different types of people. And you're you're sort of forced to learn that art of interaction. I think that is so important. And I think that today with so much digital, we're we're interacting, we're communicating through a screen. I think that's great because it opens up a whole new world. But I think for your personal sort of um, to evolve, learning that skill from a very young age will give you so much power. So get in front of as many people as you can, as young as you can to learn those skills.
1: Yeah, I think that's great advice. I think you like everything or everything you've said is just so applicable to anyone whoever you are wherever you are, right? Yes.
2: Yes. Yeah, and there's no, no matter where you are, there's a journey for you. There there's a journey for you and just be passionate and just go for it. And learn that interaction of being able to communicate with people in a really authentic way.
1: And I love hearing you talk about it as well because you really get a sense of makeup and beauty being about creativity and artistic
2: expression as well. Oh, it is. It's the ultimate creative expression, you know. And um, I have the great privilege of um, working with and hosting a lot of the brand founders when they come into our market. And being around these people, they're so inspiring and they're, they're all they're all geniuses and they're so committed to what they do and their craft and I I love that I get to have exposure to that and I love that um, all brand founders, they're all there's a common thread between all of them, they're so committed to what they do, they're so passionate and then they make these incredible products and then that filters down into our stores and we get to present this, this creativity and then ultimately it goes to the customer. They experience it and they get to sense that original essence of the creativity from the brand founder. And I think that that journey from inception right through to when the client actually starts using the product, I think that's really magical.
0: It's really magical.
1: What's your favourite beauty tip or makeup tip that you've learnt from a brand founder?
2: Okay, okay. Um, oh, I really, it's really, um, Francois Nars. Francois Nas, use your fingers to apply foundation. He's very much, he, they get mm. the foundation, they warm it up and they press it onto the skin so you get this second skin sort of finish. Alice Fass is like everything you've learned, throw it out the window and just be creative. Mm. Like, you know, mm. just go beyond what the realm of what you believe is right. Just throw that all in the bin and just feel it and go for it. Um, and oh, Ray Morris. Ray Morris, her, the, the way that she uses brushes on the complexion to shape and um, to really enhance someone's features is genius. So they're sort of the three things that come to the top of mind.
1: What tips do you have for someone who is a bit, you know, we're stuck in lockdown, mm-hmm. we're in sweatpants, I'm literally in sweatpants mm-hmm. now. What tips would you give to someone on finding the beauty identity for when we emerge out of lockdown?
2: I think get online and and get inspired and I think g- go onto our website you can like there is a plethora of content to inspire you I think get on our Facebook lives
1: thanks thanks Tony for that yeah. oh yeah because that's you isn't it Yes. Um, <laughs> lol yeah it is
2: <laughs> our Facebook lives as well I think it's really good to get on and be part of the community and I think um, any burning questions that you have chat away you know our experts and our Mm. brands that do these they we love to hear from um from people so get on and ask questions and just get get those wheels rolling you know because when you're at home in lockdown you can become a little bit relaxed with your beauty and become a little bit complacent um but once we open and you know Charlotte Tilbury is in, in the market, like, watch out. Like, we, 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 we need to start warming up for the wind up for when we can get out. And I think once we get out...
0: Oh, my God, I'm so excited. Oh, I'm so I excited. Just, I, do, I want to hit a dance floor in full, like, holstons yes. and sequins and, like, big lashes and just, like, so off the yes. chart. Even if no one else is with me, I just want yes. to
2: do it. Well, I sort of still do that at home by myself, but it's not quite the same.
0: <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> So when we open up, oh, the three of us maybe can we go out and have some tequila? Yes. Tequila. Yeah.
1: And dress up. Oh my gosh. And like, you know, yes. get our hair done. Yes. Gosh, this is like you're painting you're painting the dream. This is something that we can work towards in the future together. Because it's been so long we've
0: I sort want of to go to a nightclub. Yes. Well it's been <laughs> I wanna go where there's a dance floor. It's
2: been a while since I've done that, but and I, there's
0: many people.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> we've sort of forgotten what it's like to really get ready and to really interact with people. So mm.
1: Yeah, we all have to get, like,
2: re Yeah, again. we do, we do. Um, but that, to me, is a really exciting um, option.
1: Oh, well, on that note, thank you so much, Tony. I think you just really painted this, like, wonderful world that we can look forward to in the future.
2: Yes, let's do yeah, it. Yeah, it's going to be like
0: great Gatsby, don't you think? Oh, yeah.
2: You have me at Halston, darling.
0: Thank you so much, Tony.
2: Right.
1: When talking about beauty identity and digitally amplifying female voices, we really wanted to include the model activist Mahalia Handley on the podcast.
0: So Mahalia, thank you so much for joining us for Mecca Talks. Um, We are delighted to have you. And I know you are part of the Mecca family already, having been one of our speakers at our recent Mecca Life event. And as a model, there's so much more to you than just modelling. So please tell us in your words who you are, what what you do, what you stand for, and what you're most passionate about.
3: Uh, well, thank you again for having me on here. I'm really excited to be on the podcast. Um, and I think it's such a cool, innovative idea to be able to like reach to women in a completely opposite way. So I have been modeling for 11 years now. feels <laughs> like a really long time considering <laughs> I've seen how much the industry has changed. Like I used to model before there was Instagram. So <laughs> that's a great indicator of how far along we've come along
0: <laughs> yeah amazing how did you get into modeling in the first place
3: uh well I grew up
0: in Darwin
3: uh that's where I'm from from the Larrakia nation and I think growing up there you get such a different perspective of life but there isn't actually a lot of fashion or modeling opportunities there um I did do a couple of like small hometown gigs which I'm sure, are probably <laughs> floating around on the internet somewhere. Oh, wow.
0: Kind of like local uh, modelling competitions or something like that.
3: Yeah, like local TV commercials and stuff okay. like that. And uh, the the Northern Territory has quite a humoristic approach to a lot of advertising. If you haven't seen some of the uh, very yeah. specific and often cuss words that are used yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and what made you want to become a model? Like, when do you realize you wanted to model?
3: Honestly, I've known I wanted to, like, model for such a long time. And it's like, it's an opposite story to a lot of girls who get scouted and go, I kind of just fell into it. Like, I've always wanted to do this. I never felt like I could. Uh, when I, And I have memories of being, like, from eight years old, and kind of upwards of just thinking, well, I'm not beautiful in a way because that's not what the standards were at that time of what is aesthetically pleasing um and as like like a not even a teenager younger than a teenager I could understand that and was reciprocating that into how I viewed myself and like my value in place Mm. and I think as I got older um I, I got more I guess infuriated by it because I wanted to feel accepted and I'm such a lucky person I had a mum who was in my corner the entire time Who was just like reaffirming that even though I didn't feel valued in society that I did have a place in it um and so I think it was just more like you know everyone wants to leave their hometown as well so I knew that opportunities would be somewhere else so I just always wanted to model because I felt like there was nobody who looked like me and I didn't want anybody else including myself to continue to feel disvalued in media so that was kind of like the big push but I also love it like I love uh this chameleon expression that you get to go through of like being one thing on set one day and something else and uh being able to work with like multiple people who feel those visions as well because that's inspiring to me to kind of get to to be in that realm
0: did you get signed up then um With an agency or did you, how did you kind of go about it? Because I think it's such an interesting one to, to, you know, to know that that's what you want to do for a career and kind of go after it um, and then be so successful as well. I mean, for our listeners, they're probably going to be super inspired by that story.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, my first jobs, I was working as like a teacher's assistant and I was running an after school care program back in Darwin. And I like at night I would run a um, bar, (laughs) one of the three bars. That existed <laughs> in Darwin at that time, yeah. <laughs> um, most models get scouted in. However, there is a huge section of models that just you can apply to an agency. And I think a lot of people don't know that. You can just send headshots through, um, which is what I ended up doing. I got an email from an agency that said, yeah, look, we're interested in, in you. Can you come down and meet us? You'd have to live in Sydney. So at 18, I packed up everything. And by 19, I was down there. And then I happened to end up in a runway competition that I didn't know was a runway competition for a very well-known agency um, in Sydney. It was actually uh, Chadwick's agency and they were looking for a model. And one of the Martin who was I'm pretty sure he's the owner of Chadwick's was there and he came in and assessed the girls. My lucky break was that Martin actually pulled me aside and said to me, look, have you ever considered doing plus-size modeling? Is this something that you would want to get into? Here are a couple of the agencies that I recommend. And I told him that I had applied for a particular agency and he said, hey, call them back again and tell them I told you to call me. Um, so, oh, wow, I, yeah, it was a huge output that honestly doesn't happen a lot in the industry. So I have a lot of respect for Martin. I've never seen him again. It's been 10 years, but oh, wow. that one moment, <laughs> you know, these are the kind gestures you can do that can really help other people, Yeah, that yeah. I take a lot of inspiration from when he did that for me. Um, I rang the agency, yeah. well, I, got, I bugged them for like two weeks straight about looking at my images and seeing me again. Uh, and then I ended up signing with them uh, two weeks later and then it's been a progression since there and I've lived overseas and wow. yeah.
1: Sometimes you just need that one person to vouch for you and yeah. to back you and to support you. And what I thought was so interesting when you said you're growing up, that you didn't feel beautiful, and like that makes me so sad. And like, I know Kate mm. has daughters, and yeah, to think, awful. Of, but then how do you like overcome that? You had rejections and you just like kept on going. How like you just must have some like inner strength, or like I don't know. <laughs> I think uh,
3: stubbornness is a really big quality of myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know I just I can't think of doing other things in my life that would give me that much passion. And I think just like being a cancerian, I get really emotional and like protective. So it was just like, I can't really explain it too much other than these external qualities that are kind of like fired something in me. That's always like kept it going. And on the days that I feel really low as well, or I don't feel like I'm quite living up to the expectations I've set or maybe I haven't done enough. Sometimes it's just that seeing the other stories of what other people are going through, if it's something that they need help with, or perhaps I've helped them with really like sets it back in there and helps me to keep moving forward.
0: And and after 11 years of this modelling career, I think it would be really lovely for you to tell us some of those amazing moments. What have been those standout moments that you've experienced that you thought when you were growing up in Darwin, that you would never, ever have because they were so out of that sort of world.
3: Yeah, I guess, like, just living abroad or even going to, like, travel abroad and getting paid to go somewhere else and experience a whole new country and then to meet new people, like, that's, like, just the tip of the iceberg of the small things.
0: Where did you live?
3: Oh, I lived in England for three years. I lived in a little SW bubble. Ah, that's where I'm from. Oh, my God. I lived in Parsons Green.
0: Oh, like five minutes from my house. Oh, I love Parsons Spring. I
3: lived in a couple of <laughs> spots around there, but um I left thinking I, I I need to go, I need to just experience something that isn't Australia and I moved right into Fulham. So I don't know exactly what I was thinking because there's a lot of Australians in Fulham. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot of Australians in Fulham and in um so Fulham kind of Clapham. And then also in Shepherdsburg and around that way. But that that is quite, you know, these amazing, amazing kind of Aussie contingents.
3: Everywhere. Everywhere.
0: Everywhere. Um, Brilliant. And I
3: spent a lot of time in the north of France as well (laughs) uh, for work, which was great. And I've obviously been living in America for quite a bit of time, but I've been back here from COVID. Um, I'm ready to go back home.
0: Yeah. Where were you based in um, America? Were you in New York? Uh, Yes, New York and
3: Brooklyn. Okay, cool. And how
0: long were you there for? I was
3: there for like six months and then I came back in uh, just as the fires were happening. And obviously the industry um, stopped what they were doing and everything started to really focus on helping um, Mm -hmm. our community. Uh, And then about two weeks before I was about to head home, everything was kind of happening with covid uh, and at that time, my UK agency had gone into working from home. This is before my Australian agency or my US agency had even considered doing it. And I thought, wow, that's a pretty big um, warning sign. I also had, like, I don't know if you're into this, but I'm very big into my tarot readings as well. And I had something in my tarot reading coming through. And I was just like, Do you do your own tarot
1: reading? No, I, I go and <laughs> do you
3: have someone do I it? I have somebody do it. And she's fantastic. She's okay. her, and She's like,
0: Oh, wow I think I need to get her number there. yeah totally she, I think she, I, bl- I love all of that I love all that tarot reading and and sort of intuitive counselors yeah. and it's really
3: it was
1: wild
0: like, but do you know what if you if they say something that actually happens I think that's kind of reaffirms you,
3: it. reaffirms it right she is so on the ball with everything like there are multiple things as guys have been dating and she's been like, Oh, he's this star sign. He does this job and he has these kids. And I'm like, wow. And you haven't said anything. Haven't said anything. No. And with COVID she said to me, I, you know, cause I saw her in December and she said, well, it's really weird, but there's going to be some sort of like stock market crash. I don't know what's going on. And then she said to me, it's the weirdest thing. It's like you get back into New York city and it's the death of New York city, as you know it, that's what all the newspapers are saying. And I was like, Hmm, okay, maybe there's just going to be some massive stock crash and
1: and this was what like March, April before January. Like, you still first week leave. of January. Oh,
3: this is January.
0: Yeah. Okay, so that's that kind is, of
3: that is like really
1: early. beginning
0: of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: Uh, and like obviously my my UK agency had gone into this lockdown and I had heard like words just ringing in my ears. And I called my agency and they're like, you know, what's another two weeks? It's nothing. And then we ended up locking down. So. I'm really grateful to be counting blessings to have been here in Australia and uh, when Mm -hmm. all of that happened.
1: And you really use your modelling platform to do so much more and to raise awareness and as an activist as well. How do you
3: sort of fuse
1: those two together?
3: I think when you have a platform, we have a responsibility to use that platform to be able to reach as many people the same way we would have before social media by doing this through campaigns. TV or news or actually doing like rallies. And if it's something that's really important to you, then that is so specific to be able to get across to people because I think people react. I definitely do. If someone was passionately talking to me about something they believed in, I'm going to listen to them and Mm -hmm. wonder how, as an individual, what can I do to help or just be alert of the situation. And because of social media and this, excessive amount of information we are given every single day, why not use it for a positive light to reinforce issues that people may not be aware of um, and to be able to just get that message across to other people. Uh, obviously not everyone likes it, but I think I learned in my journey as a model prior, which I'm really thankful for, is that one person's going to love it, one person's going to hate it, and the other person doesn't care at all. So it's about reaching that one individual person and, like, using what you can to help change your life and even if it's not mm-hmm. you know directly affecting that person's life it may plant the seed to help change somebody else they meet along the road um, so I, I think that's why activism is a really big part and I have the the model activists who kick the hornet's nest is because I just kind of saw myself as somebody who was a model who was talking about inclusion and activism for individuals within media realms Uh, and nobody else was kind of willing to walk around and like kick hornet's nests in a say which Mm -hmm. back then used to be I used to be told that it was like too political or too stigmatized to talk about having equal rights for women or to have Wanting to have representation of different diverse bodies and ethnic groups in there, which is really wild because it's like, well, it's just human Mm -hmm. rights of wanting to be included. I don't see how it's political. So that's why I have that on there because I don't mind running around and just like kicking the nest if it actually makes the hornets get out and buzz around and we start talking about it. Um, Confrontation doesn't really bother me in that way. And I know it does others.
0: I think it's so powerful as well so powerful for you having had this amazing career to then use your voice in a different way and have this platform that you know all these women and girls probably really look up to you and will they're so proud that you will sort of stand up for all these things that are bubbling topics that we do need to socialize. We do need to be able to talk about openly without anyone saying we have to behave in a certain way. And um, how were you always, you know, growing up, we always did you have that kind of burning feeling that you had wanted to get your voice out there? Or is that something that you've learned along the way?
3: Uh, I think it's a bit of both. Hey, I I don't think I like organically knew from a teenager that this is what I want to do and I want to be speaking to thousands of people and a day. Um, But I definitely was always someone who would like, I'd stick up for my friends or I'd stick up for myself. If I saw something, I was constantly getting kicked out of class because I'd be um, pulling up issues that I didn't think (laughs) was correct. (laughs) I probably should have joined a debating team of some sort, but I think I just, I always knew I wanted yeah, I love to, be, that. to be in it, to be in something where I could usher change. Because as an individual, I was feeling the effects of disinclusion. And, you know, if I'm going to put it down mm-hmm. to just one word, like unfairness, I didn't feel like personally for me that this was fair playing ground. And I've always believed that if we had this fair playing ground, we would have so much talent ahead of it. And perhaps it wouldn't even have been me and that talent, but I would have been fighting against the best in that way.
1: And I think what's also, I mean, because this is a podcast, so it's all audio and we know you, we can see you, we've worked with you before, but I, for our listeners, they may not realise when listening to your voice, but you're, you know, you have mixed heritage, you're a curve model. It's changed. I think You know, like you said, the industry has changed a lot, but when you started, you were an outlier. And there's so much that you had to go through and, know
3: yeah plus size models back then were only considered like matronly and you could uh you know you were in a sack basically and realistically there only used to be about four major companies who would employ plus size models um and being mixed race you know I even think about times when I was first like baby baby 18 to 19 20 trying to figure out how I could succeed and it seemed like the only way I could succeed is if I spoke about my Irish heritage first my mum's from Ireland I'm also a first generation Mm -hmm. Uh, they immigrated over when she was three years old and my dad immigrated to Australia when he was like 19 Um, so I kind of always felt like oh if I say that I'm Irish and European then perhaps I'll be perceived as more employable Um,
0: and it just used to Piss me off I mean it's completely crazy where does that even come from you know
3: well I used to get cold I go to castings all the time and they tell me well wow you're so exotic you're just a bit too exotic for this brand and you know it's it took me a long long time to realize that they were saying you're not actually westernly aesthetic enough to be for this brand because my mom would always say to me you're so exotic and you're so beautiful look at your brown skin you know Mm-hmm. She would always reinforce this into me to make me feel like I was valued, which was a great thing that I'm, I'm lucky to have from my mom. But when they would say this to me, it would really anger me. And it, like, I think it took me till I was like, what, 20, 25 to realise what they were saying, because I don't think you can be exotic when we live on First Nations ground, which is Indigenous um, custodians. We know this. We're surrounded by Indigenous uh, heritages in different islands. And we bank on multiculturalism. I mean, 50% of Australians are from another country or have a parent who's from another country. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we're exotic. And my dad's from New exactly. Zealand, which is the neighboring country. <laughs> and my mom's from Ireland, which is one of the whitest countries in the world. Like there's nothing really that yeah. exotic about myself other than I have brown skin. And I think it's just been like all these microaggressions throughout my life that Uh, yeah
1: it's a way of like othering
3: yes and segregating and I thought you know like I thought we'd move through this as a teenager and the more as I come to an adult which is I guess Mm. why I'm like tipping into talking about policies now is that we have to change these institutional um, policies that have been approved racism into our governments for multiple years um, and look at really altering it to start to bring a little bit more unity together but You know, I wouldn't have learnt all of these things as well if I hadn't have lived abroad. Living in England was just, I never felt like I had to worry about my race or ethnicity over there because it's just so wildly already into the media and they fully accept it and they move Mm -hmm. forward. And they had more, uh, like, cool brands to work for as a plus-size model. So when I was over there, it was honestly a very relieving process to not have to think about that as, like, a full forefront but just fight yeah. for the small things that we needed. Um, and luckily I had, like, with success. I know we mentioned before some good jobs over there that changed my perception. I remember looking at an article that came out uh, just before I turned, I think I was, like, 22, and it was for Vogue Italia and they were calling me the crocodile girl. Uh, and highlighting what my career <laughs> had been. I don't mind the term because obviously, <laughs> very connected to uh, that animal. I was also like with the first ever plus size model that they used for Selfridges in the UK. And I used to have like these huge yeah. uh, posters that were all over the entire building on the outside and the inside. And that was such a huge feat for so many people. Do you get to keep the poster? No, but I used I think they're to. they're
1: um...
0: quite big women. Yeah. <laughs>
3: I used to go like on dates. Like, that in your house. I mean, I think they're. Yeah. <laughs> I used to go on dates and like walk them by and be like, "Oh, I didn't even know that was out yet." Like, <laughs> try and get some more like tipping points into the date. <laughs> um, but there's been there's been so many and like small brands that I wanted to work for and like seeing that they're now casting other models is really great to see. I just want to see this tip forward. But if I hadn't have had these successes and experiences. In other countries, I don't think I would be as appreciative as how much we can change, knowing that it's already happened. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a big thing of why I started or co-founded Shine for Diversity and wanted to create a campaign was to be like, hey, look, we can actually do this. And that was a big thing, like finding community who had also gone through the experiences Mm -hmm. that I had um, and knowing that they wanted to change. And every time we did a campaign, you know, I was running a team of 30 to 35 people all of them volunteering to be in there. And that's like, that means a lot to me to see so many people, you know, in 2018, not where we are right now, in 2021, where we're really discussing diversity and inclusion, who are ready to sign up and put their hats and hands forward and say, hey, yeah, let's make a change.
0: And what is next? How are you going to really take where you are now and kind of propel it to the future? Because you've got these amazing platforms and you're starting to really be be sort of listened to in so many ways and so that that's incredibly powerful have you got you know do you want to be the prime minister one day <laughs> what are your what if your what are your dreams what do you want to reach for how can you keep changing the world for the better
3: um look there's like so many different things that I want to do that it's hard to kind of put it in like <laughs> multiples of like what's this <laughs> i like i have such big dreams in my modeling career because if I can start to be, I guess, perceived as a supermodel the same way we perceive supermodels in America within Australia, then I think that's gonna open up so many pathways for other people, for businesses to understand marketing campaigns and value, and to really just like start altering into the media presence and change here. Um, there are huge companies here that I still aspire to work with, um, hoping, hopefully, soon I might get a cover. Um, on our tier magazines here because I think it also starts to create a domino effect for other uh yeah companies.
1: Makes people feel like they can do it or like, yeah. it's like you can't barring. yeah you can't be what you can't see.
3: Exactly. Yeah. You want to see somebody who's a representative in that stage.
1: And I think like I basically have like no doubt that you'll yeah be able to you know you'll be able to do all of this because I feel like the theme of your career or like your life one is that you really take take your life your career and like make the most of it and it's like you're the decision maker and you're in so much control
3: of it so I think it's all about working with businesses you know I'm I'm consulting at the moment I think I'd like to be consulting on a higher level higher level to particular uh, states and territories about inclusion and making sure that reconciliation policies are being correctly advised Um, I I have a huge passion for business and uh, I've always have and combining that with modeling and the creative direction. And I'd love to also be somebody who could help facilitate some great opportunities as a creative director for teams and other models and other individuals uh, worldwide, working with campaigns or working with um,
0: editorials. Uh, (laughs) So you've only got a few ambitions there and you know what, I think the passion and energy you have is so it's so intoxicating because th- I think you'll end up doing all of those things and all of those things amazingly well. So kudos to you. And you're so honest and, like, really you share your vulnerability, which I think as women we all need to be able to do more. We don't all have to be feeling the strong person every single day. Actually, what makes us human is vulnerability. So, mm. you know, actually sharing your story is makes me feel all sort of like super proud and you know i'm going to make sure that my my daughters are out there opening up and being honest and talking about all the things that they have that worry them and i think that is one of the most empowering things as women that we can do is talk share and be open and honest about how we are and how we feel totally. so thank you so much thank you.
3: thank you the superpower knowledge and when we unite like that i think that's where we can foster in an old change to contemporary values Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be yeah, here, of you're, course. You were so good. You're so
1: like, <laughs> articulate and like, so reflective. And it's yeah. just, it was such like, a pleasure to speak to you. Yeah,
0: loved it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Mecca Talks. If you liked what you heard, follow us on your favourite podcast app, and you'll be notified as soon as our next episode becomes available. Don't forget to rate, review, and share this episode with your friends. To stay up
1: to date on what's going on in the mechaverse, find us on Instagram at at MechaBeauty or join the conversation in our Mecha Chit Chat Facebook group. You've been listening to Mecha Talks. Thank you for joining us.